1: a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Can you hear me through it?
2: Oh yeah, I can hear you good. Just like Perfect. we're in the plane.
1: Exactly. Hey Jess, you want to cut that TV? Yeah. But you can't actually make it. It doesn't matter. Leave it. Leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it. So these these podcasts are going to be sponsored by Boyke's Biltong to start with. These are Biltong. You want to
2: try it? No, I've had some. You left me some.
1: I gave you some last time?
2: Oh, I don't know. One time when you came through, we tried it. It was very good.
1: It was really good.
2: I, I see they've got a little competition. I looked online for them. Because they sell it online or mm-hmm. Amazon or something. Mm-hmm. There's another company that sells it too. I can't remember the There's name. a bunch of
1: people that yeah. are selling Biltong now.
2: Yeah, well, hey, maybe they can create a market over here for it.
1: Yeah. So this is going to be a pretty um, hard-hitting conversation, Jeff. You think so? All right, well, I think it needs to be, right? That uh, the what we were just talking about is hunting organizations get this rap that Where does the money go, right? The 3% going back to communities. Who's talking about the anti-hunting communities? Organizations. No
2: one. Zero. You know, that's what's going on, Robbie. What's going on now in in the the rest of the hunting world probably doesn't know it, but all these, what do you want to call them, anti-hunters, non-hunters, Definitely not sustainable use people. Uh, you know, they're out there, they have unlimited resources for the hunting community to compete with for concessions.
1: So we just saw, we saw a number come across an email of WCS and Niassa. WCS is co-managing Niassa. Mm-hmm. 6.7 million, as an annual budget from fundraising, they're a non-profit. Three million of which actually goes into the ground. So, assuming sixty-one percent overhead, right? So that's about three point seven million.
2: Hmm. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. I mean, you know, there's a handful of uh, of concessions like ours that are over there that are hunting concessions that go around around the reserve but all adjacent to us across the river all within the re- the, the reserve a lot of the reserve the majority of the reserve it's taken up by uh, the ecotourism crowd uh,
1: and this is northern Mozambique middle yeah. of nowhere
2: middle of nowhere I mean
1: lots of ecotourism
2: right you know originally when we went over there Robbie what what the situation was I mean all the c- contracts you know, we had the original contract in the with the reserve. We were the first. Everything was modeled after our contract with uh, Annabella Rodriguez. Uh, you know, business plan, everything. Um,
1: but Jeff, surely, as an operator, the first operator, you must have cut corners, right? You must have. It's Africa, right? You're paying someone. You you, you Look, you're bribing I, someone, right?
2: <laughs> no, let me tell you something. You know, that's one thing about Mozambique. You think, oh, this is a third-world country. We're, gonna, we're just going to skate by. That, that, that's not how it is. I mean, they may be third-world, but they expect everything to be done first-world. What does okay? that mean? I mean, everything's identical to here. Uh, environmental impact statements, everything, you know, road building, construction, everything we did within our concession – had to be to first world standards. How
1: long was your how long is your lease and your concession? 15 years. So you did that once, right? You did that in the beginning, you did a plan it, and, and then
2: that was it. No, in the beginning you have to submit a like a business plan, okay? And I you know, I'll be quite frank with you. Yeah, we went over there thinking, well, this is they're not going to hold us to a, a business plan like in Alabama or something or in the United States. Well, I have a lot of respect for who we dealt with back then. She's Granted, she's not there now. She's in, got a different capacity. But, uh, you know.
1: We, you thought you could get away with it, right? This is after I'm
2: not going to say get away with it, but certainly not to. I wasn't expecting it to be of the same standard that if I wrote a business plan in the United States. Well, let me tell you something. We got our first business plan back. And my, it looked like one of my seventh-grade English teachers. It was corrected for punctuation, spelling. Every last detail on that plan was checked. I mean, financially backwards and forwards. You know, I mean, we we had to go back and redo the plan three or four times till it met the standards that Annabella required. So,
1: once you had done that, right? Once you had gotten the plan approved by Annabella. That was it. Nobody checked on the plan again, right?
2: No. I mean, basically, you had to write a one-year plan and a five-year plan. You have to do that once you get a concession. In other words, you submit a five-year plan, and part of that plan is the the one-year plan, and then you have to submit what you're going to do for the next year to, and justify what investment you're putting into the country. So, and I mean, it's all checked off. It was checked off by the Reserve. They're the ones who... At that point, Annabella was over the reserve. And, you know, it's just like, oh, well, we'll just go in there and put the roads in. No. I mean, these met standards like I best management practices in Alabama when you cross the stream, excuse me, cross the stream or the width of the road, water bars, turnouts, removing your debris, your garbage disposal. You know, you had a proper, it wasn't like, we're just going to burn it. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Everything had to meet a certain standard, just like it had here. You had to have your latrines, had to be on your septic tanks, and all that had to be up to to a standard, uh, which, hey, you know what? This lady who ran the reserve, let me tell you something. She was a general in the Mozambican Army to this day. I respect that lady because she really cared about the Assa, and what she stimulated was, you know, we did it right. We there was no cutting corner because if you cut, I'll give you a for instance. So we put a we put a base in on the eastern side when we initially went over there because there was no, not much. There was a crappy camp on the west side. There was one road in and a road up and down the river, and that was it. So we put up, uh, you know, it's 40-something Ks across there. So we put a camp in initially to get started and built a camp, a tented camp and stuff. And, you know, we didn't know the name of every stream in there. And I, when I talk about a stream, I'd call it a branch here. Well, of course, you know, we, we just picked a name and named something after one of our employees. Oh, my God. (laughs) To this day, we laugh about it, but it wasn't funny. We got informed, this stream has a name, and this is what it's called, and, you know, it's marked out on our business plan. And Anyway, my other partner, Jumbo, and I, we laugh about it, but, uh, yeah, McGee, whatever we called it, we called it McGee Branch or something. I don't know. It's uh, funny.
1: Everyone has a, a preconception of what Africa is, right? And the and this great white hunter coming into Africa and paying off people and bribing people. Look, and, and there's
2: there is bribery there, but uh, not from from the standpoint of our dealings when we initially went over there with with the reserve and who directed the reserve, Ms. Rodriguez, Annabella Rodriguez. No, that's that was a that was a. That was a non-option, and we figured that out. I mean.
1: You test the boundaries.
2: Yes, we tested the boundaries. I mean, every way possible. Sure. And then eventually, you you surrender and say, "We we understand, and we're doing it, and we're going to do it to your specifications because we want to stay here. We realize the potential. Right. And that's what we did. I mean, for the first, I don't know seven or eight years in developing the the, the piece of property.
1: So yeah. a lot of people listening to this will probably say Nyasa, Northern Mozambique, you know, pretty accessible, right?
2: Oh, totally inaccessible. That's totally why we went there. I mean, that was one of the criteria was we wanted we wanted something remote, no people, totally wild, untouched, and that's what it that's what it was and pretty much still is. Part of part of our initial contract as a requirement was that the reserve wanted it developed for ecotourism now if you can think of something that's twice the size of kruger but it's you know there's no way to get there totally undeveloped i mean i think there's just one road into uh from the south right goes up in the middle up to the headquarters at uh at the mountain there and that's the old, that's the nearest tarmac type road that goes into reserve that's it and totally undeveloped well it calls for us doing ecotourism bringing so many clients every year part of our business plan mm-hmm. well i mean as we started and started to develop the property and everything is yes, we we fulfilled our obligation but every year it was the same story we'd have to tell annabella annabella this is not for ecotourism. People aren't going to get in minivans and ride around. Nobody's going to de- develop this in a, in the next 10 or 15 years to uh bring tourists here. It's it's difficult to to access whether by uh road, four-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. There's no Essentially very few strips where you can land in and mm-hmm. once you get within it, it's there there are no roads. Mhm. You know, there's human human paths and elephant tracks, and that's it. Uh, unless you get up to where. Well, you guys have roads.
1: You have yeah, but miles I mean, of roads. When
2: we went there, Robbie, there was one road in, okay, when you came to the nearest village, which is Shoshanu, Shoshanu Village, the den of iniquity. <laughs> You you left there and you crossed into the reserve, well, through the Katata, edge of the Katata, into the reserve. And it was a, you know, it was four-wheel drive all the way to the Legenda River. Uh, I'm a, I think it's right at 45 or 50 kilometers in there, over multiple streams, which are... Washed out every year, no banks. You'd had to dig out every stream to where you could go in and out and cross. Uh, and then you had one road that went up and down the Legenda River on the border, which is from the camp probably, uh, let's just say it's, there's 30, there's 40 kilometers of riverside. hmm but uh, that was totally undeveloped, and that was all that was there. You know, we put in probably close to 800 kilometers of roads within 700,000 acres, mm-hmm. you know, over the years to where you could actually see the property rather than drive in, stop at the camp, drive up and down the river every day mm-hmm. see the same mm-hmm. habitat, same animals. So
1: what's the future of Nyasa? Is it ecotourism?
2: No, not any time well, I mean, there's a lot of eco blocks that are that the government's offering and people have taken, but there's no they're inaccessible i mean there's they're not developed they don't sh- they don't have the kilometers of roads that we have i mean and the game there remember this is a big game area, granted, the reason we got it was we knew there were there was a lot of planes game there, so you had a multiplicity of animals. But it's a big-game area. Big-game areas, you may drive all day, at least initially, within our block. You might drive all day and see, you know, three species or something. You know I mean, it was uh, had been protected, and in the ecotourism blocks, you can't even see what's in there because you can't get around unless it's owned by foot or motorcycle on a, on a, you know, a footpath. So uh, I don't know what, when they give them an ecotourism block, I, I assume they're doing some anti-poaching in that area, but there's not a, there is a minuscule number of ecotourism clients who are going to, to Niasa,
1: what happens if uh, let's just wave a magic wand and say hunting is no longer allowed in Niasa?
2: Well, I mean, they're they'd be totally dependent on uh, the the non sustainable use type mentality. Somebody to fund them put the money in to provide anti-poaching. Uh, I don't see it ever being developed. I don't see none of these ecotourism camps have, have managed to survive in the 15 years we've been there. None of them, have, you know, been a viable operation where they're actually bringing in enough clients to run a business to make it successful. It's never going to happen simply because ecotourism is a volume business, and you can't put volume through something where there's no, this isn't the Serengeti where you can fly them in, put them on a bus, and drive them around. This is Miumbo Forest, sand rivers, mountains, I mean, totally undeveloped.
1: Tetsy flies.
2: <laughs> yeah, on a lot of it. <laughs> so Malaria. Yeah, it's... Cli- that Deco clients, that's not what they want. They want to drive through an area and see a lot of animals. <clears throat> you got to remember, once the rains start there, you can't get around. There's no river crossings or anything. Uh, you know, when the rainy season starts, it's totally in it, almost inaccessible in most areas. Uh and that's from December to, you know, the rains may stop in March or they may go to June. So you're talking about six months out of the year. You're trying to run an eco-tourism business when you can't get in there. Much less, what are you going to do? If you put in a strip out there, you may land in your block, and but you may sit at the camp and look at the river for a week because you, you'd be winching yourself around or you can't get across the I've been over there in November when the rain started a little bit early, and we might be on the. I can remember being on the east side of the block, and driving to the to the uh, northwest corner of the block, and you know we got a thunderstorm. you know early rain started. You can see it raining, and we had like flash floods. We had mm-hmm. to spend the night for two nights. Somewhere mm-hmm. else, over at the <coughs> camp on the west end of the property, till the Water Went Down,' is it? You can't get across, you know, twenty or thirty foot sand rivers that are completely full of, completely full of water. So, it's mo- I would call eco tourism is not a viable <coughs> option in the not anytime soon. Maybe adventure tourism. <laughs> sure. Yeah, not maybe that. I mean,
1: for the experience, essentially. Oh,
2: exactly, but. You know, thinking that you're going to have clients come in and stay at a fancy ritzy place and drop, you know, five dollars or $500 a night to spend the night and go out and see the game drives. Once the bush is out there, and that's six months out of the year, it, it's not Savannah's. There may be a few spots in there, but uh, to see game, when you can see 20 or 30 yards, you can't see a whole lot. Unless you have developed the property, I mean, a lot of the time, what we developed the property was to get in all these areas and find the game. Yeah. I mean, that was the whole purpose. That's why we put in accessibility to – and I still haven't seen all the property.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. And I've been there
2: 50 – I mean, it's huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, much less – that's riding around. You get out and start walking, I mean, (laughs) it's – Spend your lifetime over there walking around.
1: Are you worried about the wildlife in the in terms of all these different things that are happening from hunting ban this, hunting ban that, and essentially also the the anti-hunting organizations coming in and saying, or not even anti-hunting, right? Let's just call them nonprofits that are co-managing reserves. Here's what
2: I think happens is you have a lot of... uh, Large agencies, or NGOs, or whatever you want to call them, conservation organizations that they're 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 not pro hunting. Let's put it that way, okay? And they're out there worldwide on the internet raising money for projects, which you know they're, they're th- there's probably good people who do that and provide great projects and provide anti poaching and protection for these pristine sure, of areas. Course, of course. Yeah, I mean there's 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 but then again you've got some bad you've got bad actors in there who um uh, who are tying up concessions. Okay. They tie up a concession in for a for a reduced price as compared to a hunting lease. And when they tie that concession up under the guise of ecotourism, and an ecotourist never ventures there, uh, it's suspect in my book.
1: Have you guys done the math on concession fees, trophy fees, bait tickets, over a 15-year lease of a hunting block versus a 15-year lease of a non-consumptive use block?
2: Well, I mean... I I don't know what the non-consumptive users put into the reserve. I mean, for instance, uh, I know what we put into the reserve. I've, you know, over a quarter of a million dollars into the reserve every year just on concession fees, tags, abatement tags, stuff like that. I mean, and that's just one operator. Right. Okay. So, you know, I think.
1: You think an ecotourism block is putting a quarter of a million into the reserve every year? We just don't know the answer, right?
2: I, I don't know the answer. All I can say is I think those ecotourism blocks raise a lot of money on the internet or a wide web. They can go out, they can appeal to the non consumptive users. And I'm not opposed to them, but they sure. can uh, they can appeal appeal to that on a huge. That's a huge number of people. Sure, they can make a glitzy presentation about what they do. I have no idea what kind of money they raise. Okay, but but I don't think the money they raise is totally going back into an area that's supposed to be ecotourism if it was they'd be like us they'd have put in 800 kilometers of roads on their concession and they'd be bringing people there and they'd have established lodges where people in airstrips where they flew in and you had you had you ecotourism like i said is a volume business there'd be a volume of people and the the reserve gets a fee for every overnight guest mm-hmm. who stays we have to pay mm-hmm. a fee for overnight non-hunters you know, I don't know those numbers, but uh,
1: it—it's an interesting. The reason I'm asking about the numbers is that it's one of the things that is constantly attacked from a from a, a hunting business model, consumptive use model, and and where that money goes is what comes under attack. Right, everyone the The rhetoric is it is it's only three percent well, there's many many scientific articles out there that showcase that it's that's not true, and a quarter of a million dollars doesn't sound like three percent to me sounds no. more like twenty five percent or thirty three percent or something like that
2: exactly plus you know what you what you employ as far as providing to the community. You know, you hear that same story. Oh, we're providing the mead. You know, I mean, it's a it's a sustainable use of that property rather than locking it up and nobody ever goes there. And it's also providing the same things the the non-consumptives are using. We're, I mean, we're we're there. Mm-hmm. We've got more people in there. We're mm-hmm. patrolling the property for at least. Well, I mean, we're there year-round. You can't get around year-round, but we have a year round presence there. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, you, you know, somebody ought to look into that because what happens is the, the, the consumptive users have to compete with a, with a, a much larger gorilla. Not only people vying for those blocks for consumptive use. But then all the other blocks, you know, they're, they're raising funds and we have to compete. You know, they'd love to have our block, I would think. Mm-hmm. It's already developed.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, they can ride around. I mean, just something else you need to think about that, uh, you know, I can see non-consumptive users, this is a way they could easily, they don't have to take your guns away. They just take away your place to go. And have consumptive use, period. You know, by competing for blocks. Yep. And, and that
1: happens at at multiple levels, right? Not just the local level, but at the regional and, uh, and governmental know, administrative everywhere. level. Everywhere.
2: Everywhere. And they have a a much greater capacity to raise funds. Let's mm-hmm. let's face it. Mm-hmm. I mean, from from our standpoint, I mean. If they're good at it. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I don't know. I don't know anything about what they raise for a specific project. You know, I don't know the ins and outs of their organizations. I can't lay claim that they raise a million dollars and they put 100000 into the reserve. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, but it's... Uh, you would think that if you were raising funds for a project, you'd be dumping the brunt of that. I mean, it's non-profit. You'd be dumping it in to developing it where you had ecotourism. Well, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, we spent seven or eight years just developing our property to where, you know, we could get around on it for, for consumptive use. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting paradigm right that there is there's this pull and and tug between consumptive use and non-consumptive use and a little a lot of people don't understand how it actually works in Africa and that today a lot of the national parks a lot of the national reserves where they're very very inaccessible are typically co-managed now because people come with a lot of money saying we want to help we want to co-manage with you Mm -hmm. yet what typically comes with that are (laughs) strings the string
2: is there will be no consumptive use it's a it ends up being Mm -hmm. uh you know i wouldn't use the word competition but uh
1: What happens when the money runs out? The fundraising runs out?
2: You know, uh, well, whatever they provided will disappear instantaneously. I mean, that's obvious. Uh, Wildlife
1: wins or wildlife loses?
2: No, no. I mean, wildlife, unless somebody's there taking care of it, keeping an eye on it, uh, wildlife's going to take a beating. I mean, the problem in Africa now is just, you know, you hear it all the time. It's human human encroachment, habitat loss. You know, when we went there in the was, you know, that's why we went there. It was remote, undeveloped, no people. Um, and if, you know, I, I can say we've made a, We've seen our numbers increase on on our property simply by taking care of it. Yeah, we do take a very small government-set limit that we can we can harvest over there. It's all based on scientific information. Uh, and our numbers have increased. Like I said, in everything except for you know when we had a, a large poaching problem over there and you could only do so much at that point Uh, you know as far as Mm anti-poaching that was that the government would allow you to do Uh, so and you know it when you're at the mercy of the government responding something by the time they decided to respond it was too late Mm -hmm. you know the damage had been done
1: You're talking about the essentially the 2012 to 2014 elephant poaching. Yeah,
2: it was just it was rampant, Mm -hmm. and you know we begged and said, "Please do something." I mean, we're doing all we can do. You know, but it's a it's a third world government. I mean, you can't expect,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: you know, to to have first world responses. Mm -hmm. They've got more important things from the standpoint of running their country. then.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. uh, But, no, I mean, as long as somebody's around and taking care of the land and taking care of the animals from the standpoint of what goes on, stopping illegal acts to the best of their ability, just having a physical presence there is a, you know, can deter a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. uh, in certain examples. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, whether or not the the population will catch on in Africa or in the ASSA
1: Well, it's already increased significantly in the reserve, right? From 30,000 to 85,000 mm-hmm. or something like that today.
2: Yeah. So I, I oh. don't know. Uh,
1: you sound despondent. Is it just despondent on the future of Nyasa, or despondent on no, the future well, of I mean,
2: Africa? Uh, uh, the you, if you want to see Africa the way I wanted to see it, it it's disappearing left and right. If you really want to see it, I mean, and you want to have a sustainable type thing process in it which is what I'm interested in I think it'll you know it's going to disappear and ultimately it'll disappear for those who are non-sustainable people simply because of population growth and loss of habitat and that's just we don't have a impact on that I mean you hear oh let's teach the value of an animal and you know I don't know if anybody's come up with the the problem how do, how do you deal with that problem you know sure. these people are hungry this is this is gross poverty like you've never seen i mean these people uh you know they live in a grass hut they're worried about two things where do i sleep tonight where i'm not going to be you know getting wet or cold and where's my meal going to come from tomorrow yeah i mean that's what you're dealing with and
1: it's a different mentality. It's a
2: whole different mentality. How you overcome that uh, isn't going to happen in ten years or twenty years. Well, as you said,
1: you put to you put you figure out a model of sustainability of a income revenue stream that fixes both those primordial things that a human needs, right? Exactly. Shelter and food. Mm-hmm. And in the hunting community, we believe that we have a model that...
2: Occupation, gives them a job, gives them food, gives them some, you know, improves their their circumstances. But And uh,
1: it's not the silver bullet for everywhere in Africa, but for very large, inaccessible wilderness areas. It's
2: the only one that'll work. Ec- eco-tourism, like I said, is not going to work in these remote locations simply because it operates on volume. But when they start competing for consumptive use areas because they have unlimited resources, forces, it can force consumptive users out of the picture. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I appreciate the frank discussion.
2: Yeah. We can have some more next time we go.
1: Next time. On the ground. In the Assa.
2: In the back of the Land Cruiser.
1: Nah, on the banks of the agenda.
2: Okay, wherever. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.